friends, welcome back to the No Wrong Turns podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Audrey Lee Hickman Hunter. The No Wrong Turns podcast talks to people about their story and their passions. It aims to see how their passions have evolved and grown throughout their story. Friends, we are almost halfway done with March. How is your March began? My March is off to a great start because my future sister-in-law finally, officially, asked me to be her matron of honor. I thought it was already official, but now I'm glad that it officially is official. Can't wait to be your matron of honor, Getchy. Friends, I wanted to thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And for those of you who are giving a listen, which is you, because you're hearing this, I was wondering if you could consider helping me out and leaving a little rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. This helps other people to be able to see the podcast when they're searching on the app. Thanks in advance for your help and for your rating and review. Listeners, this is our ninth episode. Today on the podcast, we have my friend, Matthew Boffy. Matt and I went to college together, but we did not really get to know each other until we studied abroad together in Greece at the Greek Bible College. You may recall from episode five that our guest, Andrew Larson, was also one of our classmates in Greece. If you haven't had a chance to listen to episode five, I highly encourage you, after you listen to this one, of course, to go back and give that one a listen as well. Today on the podcast, Matt will share about his his story on how God gave him a pastoral passion and how he pursued this passion through continued studies, internship, and the publishing workplace. You are going to want to lean in and not miss hearing about how Matt heard God's pastoral call in his life and how he has diligently pursued this calling through intentional life steps. No matter if this is your story and you can relate to him or not, I believe that there is something in this episode for you. All right, here's my conversation with Matt. Welcome to the No Wrong Turns podcast. Today on the podcast, I have our guest, Matt Boffy. And Matt and I actually went to college together but didn't really know each other until we studied abroad in Athens, Greece, which was super fun. So we just want to welcome Matt to the podcast today. Welcome, yeah. Matt. Thanks. Thanks, Audrey. It's great to be on. Awesome. Can you tell us, the listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe who you are, where you're from, some sure. fun facts? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Yeah, my name is Matthew Boffy. I'm from Northwest Washington, very Northwest corner, about halfway between Seattle and the Canadian border. If you've ever heard of the Skagit Valley Tulip Festival, that's the thing my town is known <laughs> for, and that's where I'm from. Um, and I, like Audrey said, we met at, at college. I went to Moody Bible Institute in twenty or in 2008, and uh, so that was my sort of venture out west and ended up being a really formative nine years that I spent in Chicago. And a couple months ago, or a couple years ago, I moved back to the Northwest, which I was very happy to do, even though I love Chicago and, and it was hard to leave uh, my people there, but moved back to the Northwest and I'm working at Faith Life, which is the company that makes Logos Bible software. And they are also, they also have a publishing division called Lexum Press. We publish, um, 
Christian books from like commentaries and fairly academic titles uh, down to, you know, kind of more um, Christian living titles that are a bit more accessible. And I'm an editor with them. So I my main job is to receive manuscripts from authors and go line by line to help them read a little smoother. So adding commas or changing words or deleting whole sentences, that kind of thing. So I'm an editor. editor and in addition to that, I'm pretty involved at my church. I co-lead the youth ministry with a friend of mine there and am involved in music ministry. And for the last 10 years, I mean, I went to Moody to pursue pastoral ministry and then I went on to seminary. And, and after seminary, I did a part-time pastoral residency at my church. And currently now in my church in in Washington, I'm uh, under care for ordination. So I've been... Ooh, uh, yeah. So that's I, exciting. I, Thank you. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I it took me a while to find the right word to describe how it is that, you know, I've been preparing for pastoral ministry for uh now over 10 years and I'm yet to That's take a, a decade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm yet to take a, a position in it and I, it, like every time I went to say I've been taking the slow route, like that didn't seem quite right because it it made it sound like I was meandering and not yeah. and, because, but it's not been the case. I've been intentionally slow, and so I finally found the word "paced." I've been taking a paced route toward pastoral ministry, and by God's grace, have been in a career in in publishing and marketing for the last five years. That has been has really um, it's been enjoyable. It's something that you know, if ministry were to not turn out for whatever reason, publishing would be a fine career. I would really enjoy it, and it also has happened to be one that. The things that I'm doing are very related to what I'll be doing in pastoral ministry. And so I've been really grateful that even though I'm not necessarily in what I am most passionate about and am, have been training for for some time, that what I am doing you know, during the day for a paycheck has been really rewarding and I think will benefit me long term. So that is a, that's a nutshell, I think. It, is there anything else that I should add by way of introduction or story? No, that was, well, did you have any fun facts for us? Oh, fun facts. Uh, yeah, I guess a fun fact would be that I, until recently, was a, or I, I guess, you know, once you are, you always are an, uh, an improviser. So I studied uh, improv comedy in Chicago. I was on our improv team at, at our school and after that, studied at a theater in uh, in Chicago called I.O. Theater. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I So I studied, and I was, like, finishing up that program, you know, just, like, a once-a-week evening kind of thing. And I was finishing that up as I was starting seminary. And so it was just a terrible time to try and start <laughs> a new hobby or continue a hobby because seminary is pretty all-consuming. So I dropped it for a few years, and then when I moved back to Bellingham, it just so happens that there is an improv theater down the street from my office and how convenient um, I know and so you know I thought well you know I've got some time on my hands why don't I go out for the team and see if I make it and so I long story short got on the team and and so I've been doing that I, I'm on a, a bit of a hiatus right now just because it's, it's lots going on and had something had to you know come off the plate but yeah so that's a little fun fact I do improv comedy wow that's really fun uh, so can you take us back a little bit? So you, you definitely touched on like what you're interested and passionate about now, but I want to just have our listeners get an idea of kind of how you got there. So you said you grew up in the Northwest in Washington. 
And did you always know that you wanted to pursue publishing and study to become a pastor? Or like when you were in high school, what were you thinking when you were thinking about college? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think I found my way toward like I kind of like zeroed in a little bit on what I wanted to do over the course of my time in high school. I think honestly, as early as middle school, I think I felt a sort of internal nudge toward pastoral ministry. Oh, and wow. I remember Honestly, it could it be as late as like, or as early as sixth grade, you know, I remember watching our pastor, you know, preach or, or kind of, you know, being with people after the service and just kind of the way he interacted with people and, and even just his involvement in my family's life on a personal level. I, I think I just looking at his life, I got a picture for the kind of person that I felt like, oh man, I, you know, I would like to be that for people, or I would like to you know, I, I, in a way that I can't quite articulate because I was a child, but there's just something <laughs> in me that thought, oh, I resonate with that. I'm sure as a fifth grader, I was using the word resonate. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. So, yeah. And then, you know, just as high school, as middle school and high school went on, and I got to know some of my youth pastors that I had throughout my time there, one especially really took me under his wing, uh, my high school youth pastor. You know, sometime early on, I told him that I thought, I wanted to go into pastoral ministry, and then I felt a call toward that. And he took that really seriously and nurtured that in me. And he would, you know, he'd take me out to coffee and and say, "All right, let's talk about ministry. Like, here's what you should expect, and yada yada." And and just and he didn't, you know, necessarily teach me how to be a pastor, but mm-hmm. more so just sort of planted some seeds, I think, for what kind of pastor I might want to be someday, and and kind of gave me a realistic picture of it. And so it was a combination of sort of my own internal sense that that was something I wanted to do, as well as just given a lot of opportunities to do ministry. You know, I started leading music when I was a freshman in high school. And at at one point in high school, I was leading, you know, leading musical worship three times a week between my school. I went to a Christian school between my school, youth group and church. And, and so I had, and every once in a while too, I would have an opportunity to teach or preach, you know, at my school or maybe at once a youth group or something like that. And, and just as I did those sorts of things, some of the adults in my community at my church particularly would just pull me inside and say, you know, Matt, I, I think you have gifts for ministry and I really hope that you go on to pursue them. I just sense that the Lord has a calling on your life in this way. And I think probably those sorts of interactions more than anything are what, probably led me to the pastoral ministry because I think you can have an internal nudge about something, but if nobody else affirms it in you, it's hard to say that I think it's hard to say that this is, you know, really something that I am like made for. But when you have, you know, 10 or so adults you trust saying, Hey, I think you're made for this. Then you really start to listen to that. And just my own sense of joy that I had as I did ministry nothing, nothing made me come alive like those things did. And so, yeah, I, you know, I would say probably middle school and especially throughout high school is when that, that calling took shape. You know, I think at one point I thought, oh, maybe I want to be a psychologist because I want to help people. Mm. But I think as I matured in my faith, I realized that I wanted to help people specifically through teaching them the word of God and shepherding their, you know, their souls, their spiritual lives. 
Wow, that's awesome to have so many people kind of confirm, like people you were looking up to and older kind of mentor, even mentor figures telling you, yes, I think this, you would be good at this. This is a good fit. Very affirming. Yeah, it is. It was an enormous gift. So then when you were deciding where to go to college, did you have a lot of choices you were looking at or did you know you wanted to go to Moody? Yeah. How did you uh, navigate that? Yeah, that's a good question. I honestly, it, it took me a while to find a school that really like kind of checked off all my boxes. I actually did not know about Moody. A few people in the Northwest really know about Moody because it's so far away. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was looking at a few different schools and some of them were great schools, but very few of them were, you know, if any, maybe were ministry training specific schools, you know, and mm-hmm. one summer I was just chatting with my youth pastor about colleges and it was a ongoing conversation that we'd been having. And out of the blue, he just remembered Moody, you know, he was, like, oh, you know, I just remembered there's a school in Chicago and, you know, he's vaguely recollecting all of these facts about it as he's telling me, he's like, I think it's, I think it's pretty solid, like theologically <laughs> and, I think it's like a specifically for ministry. I'm pretty sure it's been around for a long, long time. And they, they you know, they pump out pastors and missionaries and all these <laughs> things. <out> and, pastors. <laughs> yeah. and honestly, if I'm not mistaken, they're tuition paid. So obviously my ears <laughs> perked up and I thought, holy moly, this sounds like the perfect fit. And um, so I went online and looked into it. And sure enough, it was, it immediately became my number one choice. And at the time, you know, it was, I think the acceptance rate was like, every five students and so I was nervous I waited very very you know with great anticipation and uh about or for that acceptance letter and I was so so grateful when it finally did come and so yeah that's how I learned about Moody and it just it was such a wonderful time and um you know those things that on paper led me to it of course are gifts but really the the main gift was the just the community that I had there and the incredible education that I had um was given from the professors. So when you when you went to Moody, was your major pastoral studies then? So yeah, no, it wasn't. And this this little decision ended up actually having really paying off. So when I first applied, I think I applied as a youth ministry major. And upon getting to Moody, I just through various conversations saw that that wasn't quite the right choice. And so I was, I remember talking with my parents. I I think I was choosing between pastoral theology or ministry or something like that and music and communications. And my parents strongly urged me to choose communications because they, they said, you know, in case ministry doesn't work out and you have no way of knowing it will or it won't, but a lot of people head into ministry and for various reasons find themselves not in it and needing to get a job. And I really think it'd be a good idea if you got a, if you got a degree that would be recognized in a secular workforce and the communications degree at Moody is probably one of the few that that is. Um, And so, and then I knew that I, or at least I, I planned to go to seminary after college. And so I knew that that degree would eclipse whatever major I chose anyhow and mm-hmm. so communications then was the re- the obvious choice because not only would it be recognized in the secular workforce, but it would also just strengthen my communication skills, which I would use in ministry. And so that's why I chose that one. So it's very very practical decision. Yeah, that yeah. sounds like it. Mm-hmm. I was I was definitely thinking uh, that you were um, pastoral. Yeah. Um, 
So you obviously had a great time at Moody, as did mm-hmm. I. Yeah. And when you, th- during your time at Moody and like towards the end, what were you, what were your plans after you graduated? Did you, were you planning on starting at seminary right away, like you said, or were you looking to move back to Washington? What was your next step as you yeah. were about to graduate and graduating? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I had the momentum going. Uh, so I decided, you know what, I'm just gonna go straight into seminary. I, I didn't have any reason not to, you mm-hmm. know, I wasn't some some students were, you know, getting married and, and needing to go, you know, work and make some money or <laughs> other students, you know, were, for, you know, we all had a different paths, but I knew that I wanted to do seminary. And I also just, again, on a very practical level, you know, when you're entering in a seminary, just like college, you're, you're really relying on references and on you're you're also aligning like your prerequisites for, you know, what you're going to go study. And so there's a sense in which like the, whatever contacts and references you have in college, you want to use those sooner than later, because if, you know, if five years down the road, you're, you're sending an email to a professor you haven't spoken to in five years. It's not as strong of a reference. And so there were just some practical reasons. And another one being I applied and I, I applied to, to Wheaton College and to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, which is a very long name. We all shorten it to TEDs. Um, <laughs> I applied to those and I basically decided whichever one gives me the better scholarship package I'm going to go with. I I had gotten some advice from a couple of professors that they thought Trinity would probably be a better fit anyway. And as it turns out, there was some kind of issues with my uh, transcript at Wheaton and yada, yada, yada. Long story short, Trinity ended up being the much better fit for me. Uh, they gave me a better scholarship and it sounded like the better fit anyhow. So I went there. So all mm-hmm. that boring background to say <laughs> I had the momentum, I had the freedom and flexibility I had a great roommate in the city that I was excited to just keep, you know, hanging out with and doing life with. And he he was at a church down in Hyde Park and wanted he suggested that I come and kind of join him in the youth ministry and do their pastoral pastoral internship program at their church. And and so it's just uh, an alignment of things of like, oh, OK, great, I can be in Trinity like or at Trinity you know, in the books and learning all the stuff. And then I can be at church and getting a lot of practical experience and, and learning. And so it just, it, it all came together really, really, really well. And it was an obvious choice to just go ahead and jump into that season. Yeah. That's awesome. And I chuckled a little bit earlier when I said I had the momentum because I lost that momentum about a year and a half. And I, I, I came pretty close to, to burning out in seminary. And so, you know, going back, maybe a year or gap would have been a good idea, but you know, who knows? So. Yeah. I think it's a little bit tricky in my seminary career. I got tired as well. Mm. So I think it's just bound to happen to all of us at one point or another. That's probably true. That that's, that's probably a good way of looking at it. Because at least you had the practice and you were used to being in school. Whereas I stopped for a few years and then I went back. And it it was okay, but I mean, just two different, two different evils, I guess. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I I thought about that too, of like, oh man, will I be able to get back into the swing of things? And we all have our different paths. So, yeah. Yeah. So you were going to seminary and you were at a church in Hyde Park. And then were you working during this time as well? Yeah. So I, I did just very part-time. I had a, a job as a window washer. 
for some I don't know how I got set up like I think on, people like a rope <laughs> no I that's why I always get that question no I was <laughs> on the I was my feet were always on the ground I think oh, okay. to, to be up on the rope it's like a whole other situation like you have to do substantial training for that kind of thing <laughs> as you'd expect I um, no so. I got yeah I know me too I got looped into this, I don't know, through students at Moody or, or, or something, and it, it was kind of the perfect job for a seminarian or a Bible, school, stu- a Bible student because you, really, you just had one route that you had mm-hmm. to do, or you could get more than one route if you wanted, but you basically just could line up your, your, all your window washing duties to make it kind of one long work day. And so for oh, me, nice. seminary, I think Trinity didn't have classes on Fridays, if I remember right. So I would Fridays or and or Saturdays would be my window washing days, and I would just like I'd get up at five five thirty and get all my stuff and and head into downtown and just grind it out for ten or twelve hours and listen to podcasts all day and and then come home. So it was it was great. It, it allowed me to focus on my studies, and that was nice. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, very nice. So then, when you finished at um, Trinity. Uh, what was your, what was your next move? Yeah. So I was, it was actually heading into my third and final year of Trinity that I started to look ahead to what would happen after that. And I knew that I would be going into a pastoral residency at my church after graduation so that I would have, and that that could be up to two years long. And, and I wanted to do that. I, the church I was at, I just really, really admire. And the, the pastors specifically who would be mentoring me were just really gifted. And I wanted to learn from them as much as I could. So I, I had committed to, to doing that residency and I knew it would start after Trinity, but that it wouldn't be anything close to a full-time job. You know, it's just like a stipend, mm-hmm. not even a part-time job. And so I knew I would need a full-time deal upon graduating and I honestly don't know what made me start like like turning the gears for that because it you know if I'm looking at a May graduation and in August or July I'm sending out applications to jobs like it doesn't really make sense but I I can't remember for whatever reason almost a whole year before (laughs) yeah I I don't know I think maybe I thought okay if I get offered a full-time job I'll try and take it and maybe finish up part-time or something like that. I, okay. I don't remember. But as it turned out, um, I applied for a few jobs at Moody because I thought, well, I, you know, I've got some ins maybe at Moody and I, <laughs> you know, I love Moody and why not? You know, that seems like a good choice. And I applied for a few roles and the only one I got invited to interview for was a copywriting job with Moody Publishers. And I had just enough experience from my communications degree and from my practicum credit my senior year writing for the news or for the yearbook to like I had just enough experience to have written something that I could even send in as a sample Um, (laughs) and so I sent that in and they emailed back and asked me to to do like a writing test and so they said wow yeah they sent me a couple books and asked me to to write like mock descriptions of the book like if you were to turn the book over and write the back cover copy like write okay. those up. and so I did that and one thing led to another and and I got offered the job and um well I almost but I almost took my name out of the running because I knew that I knew they were going to offer me the job but that it was a full-time job and I wouldn't be able to take it and so I remember calling the person at Moody and saying hey I know this is kind of weird because I applied for this job but <laughs> as I'm just looking at as I'm looking at my 
you know, my schooling situation, I, I just can't go part-time to school. I, I need to stay full-time. If there's any way that you think that you might be able to make this a part-time deal until even like the spring semester, I think I could take a light load and, and make it work where I come on full-time. And long story short, they agreed. They, they said, yeah, we'd be happy to do that. And so I was able to do my first sem- my first semester of my last year full-time while working part-time at Moody Publishers. And then I s- more or less switched, although I stayed full-time at Trinity, but I was taking the nature of the classes. It was like, functionally, it was like a little bit more than part-time. Anyway, mm-hmm. all that to say, it just worked out remarkably well that I, I was able to have this job and have it like locked down to that when, so that when I graduated, I had a full-time job in the city that would keep me plugged into that church community. And so that's how I found myself at Moody Publishers. I really, I truly stumbled into copywriting and that eventually led me into editing. And that's what I've been doing. Some combination of those two things for the last five years now. Um, so what's the difference? I don't know anything about this field besides yeah. I read books, um, <laughs> yeah. but what's the difference between a copywriter and an editor? Yeah. Copywriter is kind of a fancy word for someone who writes marketing copy and copy is what we call words in, in, in the industry. So like when you go on to, you know, apple.com to look at the iPhone and you're scrolling through these long web pages that are explaining it like that's a copywriter mm-hmm. wrote those words um, okay and but I mean a copywriter also wrote the words on like a newspaper ad or a billboard or in my case the back cover of, of a book so it's just someone who writes like from the voice of the company to customers that's what a copywriter is Gosh. and yep and then an editor, in publishing is totally different. And in that sense, I'm working on the book itself and I'm, I'm, you know, slicing words and changing words or adding commas and, and that stuff, making it read smoother. So an editor is in the book and the copywriter is about the book. Yeah. Like if you, if you think of it like on a conveyor belt, the, editor is way further up the the belt in terms of like the production of the book so you like i'm i'm interacting with a word document before the book even like gets kind of drafted up as a as like a pdf to that looks like it will look when it's printed and yada yada so i'm way up at the front whereas as a copywriter you're way you're reading like almost the final version of the book and you're and that's what you're using to describe it and then so yeah I don't know if that helped, okay. but that's kind of how it works. Yeah. Well, yeah. now I now I didn't really. I just kind of thought they were just synonyms for each other, so I didn't oh, know yeah. that. Today on the podcast, we welcome Prenata Smoothies as our sponsor for today's episode. Thank you so much. Prenata Smoothies are delicious prenatal multivitamin fruit smoothies that can be easily consumed by expecting moms. Prenata Smoothies provides the same nutrients that are found in prenatal pills that support fetal development. Moms, and soon-to-be moms, can purchase their smoothies online at their website at prenatasmoothies.com, where the smoothies will then be shipped to your home. Make sure to follow at prenatasmoothies.com 
Pinata Smoothies to be entered into their April 1st monthly smoothie box giveaway. Be sure to check out their website at prenatasmoothies.com. That is spelled P-R-E-N-A-T-A-S-M-O-O-T-H-I-E-S.com. For our listeners, we have a promo code, which is PS subscription, and this gives a 20% off for the, a smoothie subscription. Again, that is PS subscription, spelling P-S-S-U-B-S-C-R-I-P-T-I-O-N for your 20% off of your smoothie subscription. Thank you so much, Prenata Smoothies, for sponsoring today's episode of the No Wrong Turns pod. All right, back to Matt's story. So you were working as a copywriter at Moody, and uh, how many years did you work there doing that? Yeah, so I, let's see, I started in um, October... Uh, or no, in August or September of 2014, and I ended up leaving July of 2017. So I don't know, two and a half years or so. Did you stay in the same position there, or did you kind of explore other facets of publishing? Yeah, um, during your time, I I did explore other um, other aspects of publishing. In fact, this was probably one of the coolest professional experiences that I've ever had. Probably uh, sometime within the first week or two of of entering the role, my boss, Eric Peterson, he was my direct supervisor. He's one of the best managers I've ever had. And he, you know, he took me out to for like brunch or something just as a kind of like get to know you session. And and at one point he said, you know, I want obviously we hired you for this particular role. And, and so want you to get comfortable with that. But when you get to a place maybe three or four months from now where you feel like you've got it nailed down and you, and you feel pretty comfortable with your role. I want you to take 10% of your work week and go do something else in publishing with it. And that, I mean, that was really just like an invitation to professional growth. And so I, you know, so my job, I'm reading all of these manuscripts that, that we've got coming down the pike. And every once in a while I'm noticing like what seems like really the wrong word choice or something comes across like a certain way that I really don't think the author meant it to. And I felt like this sort of sense of quality and control obligation to just at least flag it for my, for the editor in case they hadn't noticed it. Mm -hmm. And so I'd be sending these little emails out to Randall Pateliner, who is the, who is the editorial director at Moody and, and just making comments like that. And, And, you know, sometimes he would say, Oh yeah. Okay. That, that, good thing you caught that that probably shouldn't have gotten through or sometimes they knew about it. But at any rate, I sort of through that process developed a bit of rapport with him. And so about six months into my time at Moody, I felt like it was, I was in that spot where I was like, okay, I'm, I've got some time. I feel like I have extra time on my hands and I've gotten like my own rhythms down. I'd love to explore editing. So I walked to Randall's office and, and asked if I could take on an editing project. And I think he had seen my, sort of edit, editorial eye at work and had, mm-hmm. I guess, just enough trust in me to say, yeah, why don't you take one? And and so, you know, he and my boss, and they agreed to let me go forward. And so I edited a book and, and that went well and I edited another. And I think by the time I left, maybe I'd done 
I don't know, five or six books and maybe, maybe a couple more. I'm not totally sure. And just loved it. Like realized that it was a gift of mine. Honestly, like what I said toward the beginning about the, the, the adults in my life affirming certain gifts of mine that led me to pursue that. I would say in the realm of like in my professional life, my time at Moody Publishers was some of the most nurturing professional uh, time. Like it was some of the most, I had some of the most like nurturing experiences professionally that I've ever had. Just the, the, the leadership there is fantastic. Paul Santhouse is the VP. Um, we had lunch a few times together and uh, uh, yeah, not to go like, it would, I'd have to go into so much detail to kind of explain it, but just generally speaking, Randall, Paul, and Eric affirmed me up and down, <laughs> and I think oh, too much probably. Like they, I think they thought <laughs> highly of me, high, more highly of me than they should have. But it gave me a lot of professional confidence to believe in my skills as a copywriter and then as an editor, and um, that was huge. You know, like I, I still want to go into pastoral ministry. I think that's my first calling, but I, I would not be surprised if twenty years, thirty years down the road from now i have some sort of involvement with the book publishing world due in large part to their affirming that like that's a gift of mine um yeah i'm just really impressed that your boss would kind of take you take you out number one just to get to know you and then number two say um with a little bit of your time you know check out some other things that are happening here so just kind of giving you that freedom to do that yeah totally i mean he wouldn't have known it but he was in in a sense he was like he was like opening the door for me to to eventually leave the role um and it was a very difficult decision i mean i think i'm i think anyone who has a hard time leaving a role at a company is really blessed because it means that things are going well there. And, and so, yeah, I agree. It was remarkable that he, he did that. It was a huge gift to me professionally. Yeah. Yeah. So you decided to move back to Washington. Is that the primary to be closer to family? Is that what motivated you to make the move back home? Yeah, primarily. Also just, I love the Northwest. I'm, uh, I, I grew up here. I love Chicago for sure, but you know, mountains, trees, ocean. I I was just I love the Northwest and the scenery here, and I just wanted to settle down out here. Mm-hmm. And I was at a very natural transitional time in Chicago. My that pastoral residency was closing up. I, you know, I think my lease was was about to end. I some from some really good friends had recently gotten married and we're kind of settling in. And so they're just a little bit less available. So I, I felt, I wouldn't say I felt lonely, but I felt a little bit like, Oh, you know, I'm a bit untethered to Chicago at the moment, even though I live here. And I've, I had set an arbitrary date of, uh, or age, but like by the time I was 30, I wanted to move back to Washington. I had said that, I don't know, sometime close to graduating uh, Moody. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm 27, I think. I was 26 or 27, and things were closing up. And, and then concurrent with that, a couple, call, uh, a former colleague and uh, actually one of my best friends from Moody, Derek Schrock, the two of them were working at Faith Life at the time, and uh, a position opened up they recommended me for. And I was actually dragging my feet. I didn't really want to apply. I wasn't 
ready to leave Mooney. And one of them copied me in an email to the hiring manager and said, Kristen, this is Matt. This is the guy we want you to meet and bring on. And <laughs> she, she responded and was like, great. I would love to just like talk a little bit about the role with you. And I, I thought it was going to be one of those like kind of feel it out conversations. And like 20, 30 minutes into the conversation, she's asking me like very direct interview questions. And I realized what she was doing and she was formally interviewing me. So I like almost by force was brought into an interview process, but it was honestly a huge gift from the, it was a, it was a gift from the Lord. This has been a great fit for me and has gotten me back to the Northwest and I just love it. I absolutely love it here. So, so can you just clarify? So what is your, your job title or what do you do is at faith life again. Yeah. So I was hired on as a copywriter Mm -hmm. uh, for the marketing department. And I was actually with them for about two years until just a few months ago, I, I transferred departments to our, our publishing division, Lexham press as an editor. So my main role is to edit books. I also support the magazine work that we do. So sometimes that's writing an article. Sometimes that's finding guests, contributors i um occasionally i'll get an interview a professor for an article um which i did recently on uh interviewed someone on fine lehman so kind of a wide array of things but primarily i'm a a book editor yeah and you said at the same time you are youth leader at your church yeah yeah so i i found myself at a church that's uh fairly similar like in theology and practice and just culture to the church I was at in Chicago. And so sort of independently of, of each other, me and this other guy who, who we co-lead the youth group approached our pastors, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, expressing interest in getting something going for youth ministry. And, and so they connected us. And so we do that together. And then, yeah, I, I'm fairly close with the pastor and he's, he's my like form. He's my official mentor for my ordination process. So I've just recently come under care and it's about a one to, to two year process to become ordained in the PCA just cause it's quite a few requirements and some tests that I have to study for and that sort of thing. So yeah, so that's what church life is looking like. And so that's a, un, that's an unfolding story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I I just want to pivot for a second yeah. and kind of see if there are any myths or anything that you have heard that surround your passion as either um, in publishing or pastoral that you've heard that you could kind of maybe debunk for us. Yeah, man, that's a really good question. You know, one thing that one thing that comes to mind is that you are what you do or that you are your passion I think there's a few problems with that one is if you're not fulfilling your passion I think you can feel this sense of of being totally lost and and I don't mean to say that there's not a problem with with not pursuing what you think you're made to do I think there's probably some natural dissonance that someone's going to feel if they are totally outside their their calling but I think you have to be careful not to say and therefore, like, I'm a failure. You know, we are so much more than what we do and so much mm-hmm. more than um, sort of what we're passionate about. And so that's one myth that has nothing to do with publishing or ministry. It's just a, a general myth. I think, you know, as pertains pastoral ministry, one of those is that 
one of those is the myth that pastors have it all together, that they're not broken too. You know, obviously, if you're going to be in pastoral ministry, you need to be qualified for it. The Bible's pretty clear about that. So it's not that like you, your life can be an absolute shambles and you can be in pastoral ministry. I think, <laughs> I think that's not true. You need a certain <laughs> level of, of health and stability and maturity to, to help other people find that. However, I think pastors suffer from extreme loneliness and isolation because they feel that they can't let other people into their world. And I do think they have to be pretty discerning about that. You know, you don't mm-hmm. air your dirty laundry from the pulpit, of course. But I, I have, I recently was talking with a friend who is in church ministry and he basically expressed that he regards his ministry uh, almost like a job and all of his, like his coworkers is in the ministry, his colleagues and the people that he's ministering to almost his clients. I, I, I'm putting words in his mouth a little bit, but the, the, the point of it was that there was quite a bit of um, like abstraction there and um, and saying like, I'm not going to be personal or vulnerable with, with these people, but I'm kind of almost in and out. Like I'm almost clocking in and out of ministry. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably an extreme that people get to, but that's one myth I would say. And my pastor actually, I think models it really well where, you know, he, I think he's genuinely friends with the people in our church. And I've talked to him about this topic and he says, yeah, I don't really struggle with that because yeah, I'm, I'm genuinely friends. And so, yeah, I, that's a really kind of long winded way of saying, I think one myth of leadership is, is that you have to have it all together and that you just trudge on without dealing with your wounds. But, mm-hmm. um, Henry Nowen is, uh, one of my favorite authors. He was a Catholic, um, spiritual theologian and he talks a lot about how our weaknesses and our wounds actually become the doors through which we or through which christ ministers through us uh, to other people and so i think it's really important that pastors pay attention to their wounds and their their failures and their weaknesses because they're they're actually gifts and ways of relating to other people i think that's so true because whenever you hear somebody's testimony um, not every single one, but a lot of times you hear what they're going through and you're like, wow, they're human. I struggle with that too, you know, yeah. and you're totally. able to, um, uh, to see that in other people. It's not, it's not just you secretly dealing with this by yourself and like stuck, keeping it stuffed inside. Absolutely. Two of the most powerful words in the English English language are me too. I, yeah. I don't know if that's original. I, as I said that, I've, I feel like I've heard someone say that, but I just, they, man, they are. Cause it's, it's empathy and it's, uh, it's relatedness. Yeah. I think, I think that's great. I'm really glad you brought that up. So I just have a few more questions for yeah. you. So what do you think one of the most common reasons for people to fail or to give up on, um, either of the passions, uh, pastoral or publishing? Or both. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think burnout for sure in pastoral ministry. I mean, you hear about pastoral burnout all the time. And I think that's a huge one. I think it's probably related to some of what I was just describing of a fairly extreme emotional climate. And then you pair that with not taking care of yourself because you're working really, really hard or you're working in isolation. And, and it can just be a 
a huge tax that no one is made to handle. I think that's, I think that's one thing is, I can't remember where, who I was talking about or, or how this came up, but a few months ago, I remember thinking about this subject of like, it, I think a lot of pastors carry guilt about how they're doing in the ministry that is absolutely un- unreasonable because like they are literally not made to do what they think they should be doing. You know, it's like that Albert Einstein quote where he's something like, or at least it's often attributed to him. If you judge a fish by its ability to be a monkey, it'll think it's, it'll grow. It's it'll live its whole life thinking it's stupid or something like that. I've absolutely butchered it. But the point (laughs) is like, we can only exist and live within our means as human beings. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of pastors think that they are superhuman or that they need to be superhuman and they're just simply not. So again, this is more from the outside looking in. I'm not in formal pastoral ministry, but being in the book publishing world and interacting with pastors and doing a lot of reading on this subject and just my own training, that is one thing that I notice. And again, I think too, is just pastors can really take a beating. I got, mm-hmm. uh, I was speaking with a friend the other day and he shared a text that he got from someone who's since left his church. And I mean, I cannot tell you how scathing the text was. Oh, Jeez. I mean, he told me it like pretty much ruined his week or maybe even his month. And, and I suspect that pastors get doses of that kind of thing all the time. And so that criticism, either from yourself or from others, and then not knowing how to appropriate that criticism without it shredding your sense of self, I think is just a really bad combination. And then you pair that with you work on Sundays. And so you're not taking a Sabbath potentially if you don't prioritize that discipline for a Monday or a Saturday. It's just, you are setting, you're just, you're like, you're, you're driving your car on six in six gear all the day, all season long. And you're not putting oil in it. You know, you're just bound to break to break down. Yeah, that was a very good analogy. It sounds very (laughs) squeaky and painful. (laughs) Yeah. So I just want to pivot one more time uh, before we close and ask you a few questions about what advice would you give to someone who is wanting to enter or learn learn more about um, either uh, becoming a pastor or uh, entering into the publishing world? Yeah, that's a good question. My, this is general advice that I'm actually just passing down from my CEO, because I think it applies to, to really anything, any profession is it's really, it's more about who you know than what you know. And he's not the one, you know, he didn't say that. That's sort of just uh, advice that, I don't know, has just exists out there in the ether, but it's, it really like relationship. And I would say, especially in publishing and pastoral ministry relationship is huge and i don't mean like in the sense of like jockeying for a role at church like oh you want to be a pastor just get to know another pastor and he'll give you a job like that's not mm-hmm. what i mean but what i mean is especially in you know in like a more secular workforce um that there is something to that of just making some solid connections but not being snaky about it uh, that's or greasy you know that yeah. would be I think it's like to be sincere and be curious. I think, you know, my time at Moody, again, something my boss encouraged me to do was to get lunch with my, with our VP, Paul Sandhouse. And so I did, and I just asked him a lot of questions and he asked a lot of questions to me. And 
we developed a sincere mutual relationship. He was clearly the mentor, you know, he was clearly yeah. the veteran publishing expert and I'm wet behind the ears, but he valued my insights. I valued his, and we spoke together as, as friends over time. And so, you know, and he, um, has been a reference for me in, in certain ways. And so, yeah, I would say be relational, but be like sincerely relational. I think honestly, the golden rule applies to like to professional success, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And I think in, in the professional world, that means take interest in what other people are doing, take sincere interest in being a champion of each other. And I think you can go a long ways. I personally have struggled with a fairly competitive spirit. I remember this time in college when a friend of mine, he was a senior and I was a junior. He was doing this, this senior, like sort of a self-guided project with a, with professor Camerzel at, at college. And he it was writing this short book on social media. And one day he came into my and my roommate's room and it told us that his book was getting published by Moody publishers. Whoa. And I remember, I know it was cool. And I remember my very first instinct was jealousy and envy. I had this internal mm. thought, like, what, like, why am like, how is he getting published? And what do I need to do in order to get published? And I, I, absolutely interpreted the event through my own insecurity through my own like obsession with with achievement and i realized like a couple minutes later holy moly like here's this here's this brother in christ here's this friend and rather than have a posture of celebration uh, which i did on the outside but on the inside i was <laughs> i was so jealous and i have thought about that a lot because i think it's really easy to get insecure when you look at what other people are doing and how you're not getting out there or whatever and i mean you can use that as kind of a kick in the pants to get working on stuff if you feel like you need to be working but generally i think that a, a much more successful way of combating that is to just really choose a spirit of cooperation and celebrating what other people are doing you know instead of building your platform like build a platform for other people i think you'd be shocked at what you um what happens and like how much joy you can have in it so that would be my advice on on the more like professional side of things i feel like i'm not quite equipped to speak on advice for pastoral ministry other than that i think pastoral ministry is caught more than it's taught so if you find a pastor or ministry leader that you really respect spend as much time with him or her as you can ask them what they read and go and read those books generally I think if you're reading dead people, you are getting way further ahead <laughs> than if <laughs> who are writing now. And I understand the irony of that as someone who works in publishing, but <laughs> I have found to be true. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's really funny the way you phrased it. <laughs> what is um, something that you uh, wish you had known when you started out on this uh, career journey, but you didn't know? Yeah. That's a good question. You know, what comes to mind first is actually what I was just talking about, about um, competition and how much joy I've lost to comparison. I remember someone in college saying to me, I was a, a mentor in college saying that comparison is the um, thief of joy. Mm-hmm. At least I think that that was someone in college who said that to me. Anyhow, it really is true. Or another way I've heard it said is comparison only ever leads to two things. This is what he said, actually. Comparison only ever leads to two things 
joy or, or sorry, <laughs> pride or despair. Comparison only ever leads to two things, pride or despair. And I found that to be totally true. So again, just in that theme of comparison, I, if I could go back and tell myself like, Hey, get that out of your system right now, it would be that for sure. And then secondly, I, and I think this is more a reflection of my own personality than it is, you know, something that's true for everyone, but like, I think you need to have, you need to work to cultivate perspective on your life and your passion. I think I was, for so many years, I was just grinding it out. Like I was grinding it out at college and I was grinding it out at seminary, just trying to get good grades, just busy, busy, busy. And like, I saw myself as this just workhorse, you know? And Mm -hmm. I remember my college roommate telling me something his high school teacher used to say to him. Like, we're human beings, not human doers. And I wish I could go back and, like, learn that lesson and, like, much more quickly. I think on a very simple level, that would have been, take the Sabbath, you idiot. (laughs) Like, I just, I did not learn to take the Sabbath until probably a year ago. And I wonder, you know, I talked about seminary burnout toward the beginning. I wonder how much I would have avoided burnout if I had taken the Sabbath during seminary. So those are a few that come to mind. And then one last thing, and I, I know I'm, I might be overdoing it, but I would say just add value to where you are, no matter where you are. If you are, you know, working at a coffee shop, but you don't really want to be working at a coffee shop, work at that coffee shop like it's the only job you will ever have. Like put your head down, go to work every day and ask, how can I add value to this company that's something that that's kind of preached a lot around faith life is adding value and again what you're doing there is you are one you're choosing a posture of generosity toward not just your coworkers and your company but toward your customers your clients and secondly you are you are choosing an attitude of growth and you know it's like i'm sure this is taking out of context we always this verse might be the most taken out of context verse in all the Bible, but like he was given little, you know, if you're given little, like you'll, if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. I think Mm -hmm. that that's true in, in work as well. People notice, put, you know, so put your head down and work not to be noticed, but work to be, to make a true and generous contribution to those around you. And, and I, I think that is a, a recipe for growth for growth. So resist the temptation to sort of eye the door in your role and be looking like, when, when can I get out of here? When can I make the next move up? And instead, put your head down like it's all you got, because I think it will lead to places that you wouldn't have thought. I think that's really good. Those are some great pieces um, of advice. I have two more questions for you. Sure. Um, what are some resources that have helped you along your your journey and your um, career developments that you could recommend if people are interested in learning a little bit more or just some things that have helped you along the way? Yeah, totally. Well, of course, it's different for every industry. Generally speaking, find the books that matter in your industry and read them. You know, it, it won't take long if you sniff around to find like, oh, these are, you know, people are always quoting these few authors or these few thinkers in publishing or in copywriting that happened to be a number of 
of old dead people like David Ogilvy <laughs> and Charles or Robert Collier and um, another name escaping me at the moment. But, you know, these guys that started out doing like mail order advertising where they, you know, they send an envelope with an ad in it, you know, and you send back your money and you get the thing. And, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so for copywriting, you know, like find those sort of people that were writing about the principles of, of ad writing and, and study them for publishing, man, that's a, that's a bit harder of one. I mean, books on writing and editing that I love and that everyone loves are on writing. Well, by William Zinser is sort of the gold standard, in my opinion, elements of style by Strunk and white. It's, it's a fairly old book, but it's gone through a number of editions and revisions. And that's, that's also a gold standard. And just in terms of like good prose, so uh, those two, and, and then again, your specific role within publishing, you could you could branch out from there. And then ministry, oh man, again, it's going to depend right on your sort of your denominational leanings or whatever. I have really gravitated toward, in terms of like pastoral ministry itself, uh, The Pastor by Eugene Peterson. It's, a, it's his memoir of pastoral ministry, and it's fantastic. I read a book in seminary by St. Gregory the Great. He was a, I think, ninth century pope. It's called A Book of Pastoral Care, which is wonderful. And then I am, in the last couple of years, I've been eating up everything Henry Nouwen. Um, his book, In the Name of Jesus and The Selfless Way of Christ, are fantastic books. So those are ones that I would recommend. And then, again, I would reiterate something I said earlier, which is, find a mentor in your field, like find the person who's doing what you want to do, or you think is just nailing it and, and try and find a way to be at a table with them again, like not be snaky about it and, and be sincere. <laughs> but I think if you can build a, a sort of true mutual mentorship relationship with an expert in your field, that is, th that is better even than reading books on it. Awesome. Thank you yeah. for your, for your guidance. <laughs> yeah, I think those are some great resources um, for people to start with. So I have one final question for you that we ask um, all the podcast guests, and that is what is fueling you today? What's fueling your passion? So this could be anything from new coffee drink to a new part of town that you found or a new book. So what's fueling you today? Yeah. Um, uh, I think the honest answer would be Henry Nowen. I have fallen in love with his works over the last couple of years. And I really just, he's one of those authors that, well, I'll say this. He wrote the book, The Selfless Way of Christ. And it's the only book I've ever read that I thought this could have been written as a letter to me. It is that wow. particular to my experience. You know what I mean? And so I just, I have this deep soul level resonance with what Nowen writes about that has really fueled me, not just, I, 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 it would be true to say my passion, but I think more so my heart. And it just so happens that my passions of pastoral ministry and publishing, but especially pastoral ministry are very, very much exist within the chamber of the heart. You know, I mean, everyone, a passion, right, is obviously it's coming from your heart. You love it. But what I mean more is, um, is pastoral ministry really f flows from your personhood 
in maybe a unique way. I don't think it's fair to say that it's more unique than than other passions. But for what it's worth, his books, I think, are are helping me find language for the way that God um, relates to me, loves me, knows me, cares for me. Um, that directly attacks my um, sense of perfectionism or um, you know obsession with achievement and is really inviting me on a journey of like shedding pretense and just being loved by God. And I think everything flows from that. So yeah, what's fueling my passion? I would say uh, trying to really sink my teeth into the truth that God's love is abiding and is a safe platform on which to move around and give gifts to others and give gifts to God. I think when I frame my vocation as stewardship and as giving back to God what he's given to me, um, that to me is the best way to fuel my passions. And, and Henry Nowen's been helping me think along those lines. That's awesome. Now yeah. I just feel like I need to go read some Henry Nowen. I know. Oh, man. Everyone when does. You, <laughs> and when you said, I read In the Name of Jesus a few years ago, and I remember going through it and just highlighting, underlining, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I need to just, like, try to abstain from the highlighting as much as I was because I felt like I was highlighting the whole page, you know? Yes. Exactly. That's exactly how I felt with Selfless Way of Christ especially, but also In the Name of Jesus. Awesome. So good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for um, just giving some of your time to share about your, your passions and um, just share with us your story. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's fun to talk. Friends, I have loved our conversation with Matt. It was great to see how Matt heard God's call in his life and has been working and seeking after ways and opportunities to prepare and fulfill this call on his life. It was great to see him be able to keep pursuing his pastoral calling at a very paced route and at the same time taking on various stints as a window washer, church intern, youth worker, copywriter, and editor. I hope that we are all encouraged today about how Matt was able to determine his true passion at a young age and how since then he has been working on developing his pastoral, his pastoral foundation through traditional schooling and interning and at the same time he was able to grow and pursue his passion in the publishing department. My prayer for you is that you would consider what God has for you and what he might be leading you to. See the show notes for our music credits.